0: Your host of the Talking Trading Podcast. This is how traders excel. This week we have got the big plays in the US, the Australian and the commodity markets for you. Rushed to you in this very special episode by Christopher Tate, my business partner. You're going to love listening to this, but you know what? You're going to get so much more out of this if you come to youtube.com slash trading game. That's our YouTube channel so that you can see all of the charts that Chris has prepared to show you in advance. I'll hand it over to Chris and he can take over the show.
1: For those of you who are astute, you will have instantly recognised that I am not Louise Bedford. I've given Louise the week off whilst I undertake one of these little looks at markets that I occasionally do, and try and get a sense of what is happening. And it's always somewhat pleasant on a Saturday morning to wake up and see AC of red across US indices. But we have to be very careful about our interpretation of what individual numbers mean. If I'm operating in isolation of the history of the market, then I might wake up and look at this and see that the S&P 500 is down 54 points, or 1.19%, and into somewhat of a little bit of a panic, I might become more breathless and hyperventilate. But I have to place that number within the continuum of other numbers that make up stock prices over time. So if we look at S&P 500 from year to date, there's probably... Four distinct phases in this chart. There's the early bounce in the first part of the year. Market then drifts off. Market then recovers very strongly and has drifted off again. And we can see last night's trading session being this large blocky red candle, which is never positive for anybody. But this chart gives a somewhat not misleading picture, but it is not the complete picture of what we would want to see. We have to place this chart also within context of the broader trend of the market. So if we take a step out and we look at the weekly trend, we see the bounce from COVID, the market slip away in early 2022 to October, and then recover. What this tells us instantly is that yes, last night was a poor session, but it's a poor session within a recent history that demonstrates the market is effectively going nowhere and has gone nowhere since the beginning of 2022. And if we have a look at the actual drawdown in the market, we can see that the market has been in continuous drawdown for let's call it 16, almost 18 months. From a portfolio investors perspective, this is, the picture that matters and this is the picture that matters particularly say if i am an etf investor in the s p 500 if i have a large block position in that as an investor i'm underwater or i've effectively gone nowhere for some time and if we look at relative comparisons if we look at how the four big main u.s indices that people generally refer to have performed you see what is not unusual. You see markets flipping in terms of their interest. We can see post-COVID, the Russell 2000, which are small and big cap stocks, performing very well. We then get this remarkable turnaround in performance from the NASDAQ 100. And the NASDAQ 100 has been the standout index in the US year to date. But there's some points I want to make about that. Even the NASDAQ 100 is in drawdown relative to its previous high at the beginning of 2022. But even this is not the full story because we do see that remarkable recovery where the double bottom had its first spike in October 22, and then in January 23, and then took off. But the question needs to be asked, what is driving this? Is this being driven by a broad, cross-section of the market or is it being driven by a small handful of stocks and the answer is that you have this very concentrated secular bull market in a handful of stocks and this chart references the S&P 500 and the relative performance of a series of well-known technology stocks versus the S&P 500 and versus the remaining 493 companies you can see that the remaining 493 companies have only contributed 5% to the SP 500's growth. Whereas Meta, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, and Nvidia have done the bulk of the heavy lifting. And this is even more extreme when you look at these so-called FANG stocks within the performance of the NASDAQ 100. All of the performance from the NASDAQ 100 has come from a handful of stocks, and it has come from these stocks. That in and of itself does not worry us if we are trading the index in the index alone. However, if our universe is the NASDAQ 100, and we think we're going to get this performance from the broader index in terms of the stocks we pick, we might actually be mistaken because these stocks are doing the heavy lifting. And I'm actually going to come back to this notion of right market, right time at the end, because it's important as to the way we pick stocks here in Australia, because Australia has a very small, somewhat specialised market that requires you to be somewhat circumspect in the way you deal with it. But I want to turn my attention to commodities, which is where my focus has been. And I've highlighted two here, crude oil and what they refer to as New York Harbor, which is actually heating oil. And these have been the two standouts. The energy sector has been a standout this week. In particular, if we look at crude, crude is heading back towards $93, where it formed that double top and then fell away. And it's the first time in a year it's had any sort of performance. You can see it's had that period of congestion from the beginning of 2023 right up until this current breakout. That does have implications for stock selection here in Australia that I'll talk about in a second, but I want to diverge for a second because the signals in heating oil and crude have already been given. And what you would be looking there for entry is some form of retracement or pause, or particularly in this notion of crude, this punch through of ninety-three, ninety-four, that would give you a signal to go. But I want to come back to this notion of energy is a complex, so that when we look at energy commodities, they do travel as a complex, but the odd one out is natural gas, which has been moving sideways. All year. And I mention this as an opportunity simply because it gives you this opportunity to practice the notion of patience. All periods of congestion end, and the traditional interpretation is that the longer the period of congestion, the more explosive the move out of congestion. And you can see this when you look at a great many of the lithium stocks that took off in 2021 here in Australia they had periods of congestion sometimes out to a decade where they went nowhere and then they took off and they made these effectively life-changing gains for those people who got involved and there are a few commodities that are demonstrating this pattern at present particularly zinc and aluminium but most importantly for me is natural gas with this long exterior extended period of congestion but if we come back to this notion of, well, how does the notion of crude moving towards these relative new highs in some way, shape, or form affect us? Well, if we look at domestic stocks, there's one or two that stand out. This move has not as of yet directly translated to the bulk of Australian energy-based stocks. This is Beach, which had a very strong close to the week but more importantly here is karoon and we come back to this notion of congestion you can see that he had strong move up through 2021 sideways for 18 months it is now attempting to break through this let's call it 256 260 barrier again we come back to this notion that congestion actually tells us something about the state of investors about what they're thinking and it's simply a matter of waiting for this to break or not break the great problem with investors is that unfortunately they go too early everybody goes off half cocked there will be a great many people who will have seen the lift in crude oil and instantly gone well start buying all stocks that is in part a valid strategy, but a better strategy is sitting and waiting for the stocks themselves to actually display some form of activity. Otherwise, you might actually just get stuck. And for example, here in Karun, if you had gone at the end of 2022, you've been stuck for 18 months. And the last thing you want to do as an investor is have capital tied up in an unperforming asset. This brings me to this notion of where does our market sit? Well, our market sits almost precisely where it sat two years ago. It's almost as if when I do these for the S&P2, or the ASX S&P 200, that I could simply say, refer to previous. And this comes back to this notion that our market this odd little market that makes up on any given day two percent of world markets and seems to be composed of a few heavyweight stocks such as the banks a few heavyweight miners such as bhp and rio a few second tier heavyweights and 1900 rubbish stocks so it's it's no surprise that our market goes nowhere. And this is an unfortunate thing about the Australian market. The Australian market is in many ways a special situations market. It is a market where you look for special situations such as rises in commodity prices, such as we saw with lithium two, now almost three years ago, such we have seen in the past with gold. And that is a reflection of the special situations nature of our market, which brings me to the particular situation that is arising at present. This is the price of uranium in US dollars per pound, which has taken off of late. This is something to be aware of and something to pay attention to, particularly when we take a look at, there is a uranium ETF traded in the US and you can see it has broken out of congestion and taken off. This does have implications for our market because when I'm running my scans at the weekend, I'm getting uranium stocks popping up. Whenever your system does something like begins to throw up a large number of stocks from a given sector, it is actually telling you something very important. It is telling that you should pay attention to these. This notion of being somewhat contrarian and grumpy and saying, yes, well, I, I accept that uranium stocks are going up but I'm going to buy banks because I want to be contrarian. The aim of trading is to be where everybody else is because you want to be part of that pack where people are competing for instruments. The only mechanism we have for competition in markets is price. If I wish to buy something that a group of other traders want to buy, I have to pay more than they do. And so I want to be in a situation where I'm involved in an environment where that is occurring. And I generated a list of top performing uranium stocks for the past year. And you can see there's been some spectacular gains in these particular stocks. And this is before the price of uranium has started to lift over the past two weeks or so. But there's a problem with this list, and it's an important one to be aware of. The column that is of most interest to me is not the one-year return, and this is where people's focus, quite naturally, is immediately drawn, and that is completely understandable. I have no argument with that at all, but there is a secondary, more important consideration, and that is one of market cap. It's all right having a stock that is performing immensely well and is often very easy to get into these stocks but it is often extraordinarily hard to get out of them it's almost like a herd of elephants trying to squeeze through a door so what i did was i highlighted those stocks that have a market cap above 200 million and there are not very many of them your scan your mechanism for selecting stocks must have a liquidity filter it must have a filter that says I will not trade stocks below a given dollar turnover over a long term. Not a day, because days can be artifacts. They can be spikes that are meaningless. It is over time. And you'll notice here that I've highlighted Laramide. Laramide's market cap is $908,000, not million dollars. And definitely not billion dollars for the average price of a home here in Melbourne or Sydney you could buy every stock on the board for Laramide and just remove the company from the board but there will be people who are trading this so when you have a list of stocks such as these uranium stocks that are popping up for me the thing to note is which of these can I get set in and which of these can I get out of? So the quite natural tendency is to be drawn to things like Boss, like Bannerman, like Lotus, like Silex. It's not though to be drawn to Rio and BHP, given their spectacular market caps. And there's two, there's probably, Let's say there's two reasons for this. The first is that they're part of a very diversified company. Uranium is a small part of what these companies do. So it is not the prime driver of their price. The prime driver of their price is generally institutional investment and interest that covers a wide sort of cornucopia of ideas and reasons as to why they would do that. The second is you're simply not going to get the leverage from them that would make the speculation worthwhile. And that leads me to this point that speculation must be worthwhile. Whenever we undertake an investment of any sort, we undertake this notion in risk. We are putting ourselves at risk. So when we do that, we must expect a payoff. Let's take an example from the absurd. If I am to by something like rio my expectation is that given a dramatic lift in the uranium price let's say uranium enters a new dramatic bull market rio will not double although it is conceivable that something like boss energy might double not saying it will but in terms of the realms of possibilities and things we've seen in our market that is a possible scenario you could entertain you could not entertain the scenario of Rio doubling in, let's say, a quarter, three months. And this brings me to this broader point, and this is a comparison I did last week that looks at a series of Australian indices. So we've got the all-ordinaries, which is the one everyone refers to, mid-cap industrials, mid-cap 50 resources, small odds, small resources, S&P 50. The big standout performers in terms of outlier performance over time are the small resources and the mid-50 resources. It's not the all-ordinaries and it's not the S&P, ASX 50, the blue chips. This highlights the nature of the Australian market. The Australian market is a special situations market. It is in many ways... Look, I'll draw a long bow here and say, it's not really an investor's market. You are not going to get, by and large, the sort of extended investment runs in our index, the major index, such as the All Lords and the ASICs 200, that you might see in equivalent indices in the US. It simply doesn't happen because of the range of companies we have and the realisation that I believe it's something like a quarter of the stocks in the ASX 200 don't make a profit, which tells you a lot about the quality of the Australian market. So we come to this notion of right market, right time. This is the guiding principle of the way you should govern your investment selection. If you're a stock trader, you need to be in the right market at the right time. And for us here in Australia, this means that you will, unfortunately, whether you want to or not, have a focus on resource stocks. And the focus will be on that boom-bust cycle that our resource resource stocks go through. And that's just something you will have to learn to deal with. That's just the way our market functions. And to give you a notion of this right market, right time. Let's let's again refer to the absurd. This is National Bank, and it looks at its return from July 2018. And you can see from July 2018 to beginning of 2020, it went nowhere, then collapsed. That was the COVID little event we had. It then had an excellent turnaround. So it had a drawdown of 40% is now up 39%. So it's had this almost 80% turnaround, which you would think is extreme. You would think that's very, very good value. But again, if we move to the point of ridiculous, this is National Bank compared to Core Lithium. Whilst National Bank was making its 80% turnaround from its drawdown to where it is now, Core Lithium put on 3,500% from its starting point in, in January 2019. And you can see even now with the Lithium boom having completely dissipated, as these things do, it is still up 852%. NAB is up 40 So when we're looking at something like Uranium stocks, We need to be acutely aware that what we're doing is taking on a particular sort of risk. Yes, we have the specific risk of dealing with individual stocks, but we're also taking on a very narrow form of market risk. Our risk is that we are trading analogues for a given commodity, such as uranium, for which we do not have direct access to. Uranium is not something like crude oil. It's not something like cocoa or sugar, whereby we can buy a contract as retail investors. We do have to pick up these analogues and to use those as surrogates. But in doing so, we need to be aware that when we generate a list like this, as if you are running scans this weekend, you will see a similar list. This is not definitive by any stretch of the imagination your scan may pick up different things. You need to be aware that these present an opportunity and they present an opportunity that is endemic in tone to the way the Australian market operates. And whilst not wanting to say that history repeats itself, my perception of this is that you will see if uranium continues, uranium stocks go through this cycle much like lithium did and then the interest will wane and run out so as a closing point the point i would make is that i don't consider this to be an investment grade portfolio these are trading stocks the moment you take on something like core lithium you are trading stocks you are not investing if you think you're investing in these stocks you're probably a little bit misinformed and somewhat delusional. But we come back to right market, right time. And I should add an addendum to that, in that it's right
0: market, right time, right risk management.